3: I'm not sure that there's the the pressure to replace Java like there was pressure to replace Objective C. Uh,
4: hold on. That's okay. Go get that. Yeah. We'll wait. And uh, <laughs> say hi.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 87 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And our co-host in Seattle, Washington, Jaime Lopez. How's it going? And our third co-host down there in San Jose, California. Hello. Mark Ribbon. Jaime's been busy in here.
4: Yeah. Yeah,
0: How about we talk about some of the, uh, the FU?
2: Yeah, it's been actually. There's been a fair bit of uh, exchange today on on the uh, the Twitterverse between the members of this podcast and the outside world, right?
0: Yeah. So um, I think we had mentioned at some point that you can use hashtag AskMTJC on Twitter, and people mm-hmm. actually did that today. It was uh, flying fast and furious. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I kept up with uh, all of that, but at least what I've collected here is, for example um friend of the show Farley responded to episode 86 where I was asking about iOS code obfuscation and I had no familiarity with what's available there and he nicely pointed out that there is a product from ArkSan that apparently does this I've I've not used it myself but it looks like it's out there it's available
4: mhm looks enterprisey I feel like you know if I was going to consider using something like that I want to see how it works you know
0: yeah, we're kind of looking here. So it kinda of shows what it's trying to do. But apparently you can sign up for a free product demo. So I think you're absolutely correct. Um it is a more enterprisey one, so
2: Mhm. Yeah, Friday did say that make that comment in his uh in his uh, uh tweet, right? That it was sort of a, what the enterprises use. But but it begs a question though. Like like I said last week, you can you can um, you know you can you show package content contents on an IPA, or you can actually I think you, can, you used to be able to put uh, just put zip on it and then unzip the file, um, like change the extension, right? Yeah, that's right. But uh, what I remember from doing that is that like images and things like that would be um, compiled and and you know zip files become nipped files and um, they're like they're locked in. You know, so you really can't sort of go in and preview them as I remember, but maybe wrong. Um, so I kind of wondered whether on iOS we needed to have uh, something of that kind of thing to to sort of hide our code. Because are there backward, com- are there com- like what do you call them? Decompilers or yeah, or sure.
4: But like what we were talking about last week wasn't decompiling; it was mm-hmm. stringifying, right? So using yeah. running the strings command yeah. on the on the app bundle. Sure. will will yield all the strings that are apparent in your software, right, including, right. like we were talking about last week, um, an OAuth secret, mm. which is right. exactly what you don't want being public, right? So right, right. Um, the reason we came up, we were asking about obfuscation or encryption or some technique or methodology for hiding sensitive data is so people don't find it, and... Um, obfuscating seems like a good idea because uh, the strings that you would get out of the bundle uh, lack context, right? You simply get a uh, a list when you run it in this in the uh, command line, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, if if it's just all a jumble of strings that make no sense at all, then without context, you can't determine that that this particular one is an OAuth secret or you know the name of a label, for example, but. Right. Um, or a selector. But my problem. Right. It's, or, or, or whatever. Yeah.
3: A, I mean, if, if you think about that, the fact that in the Objective-C runtime, any method can be accessed by a selector, which can be created from a string. Right. Mm-hmm. That, and that what that means in practice is that the app has to know about what string represents every possible method. So it has to have a table right. in there somewhere, because you can use an arbitrary string that you create on the fly. So there's got to be a table in there somewhere of a string representation of every method in your app, Mm -hmm. which presumably, and I'm no expert in this, presumably makes it much easier to
4: to, uh, reverse engineer. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, How's that book going, Mark? Uh, It's okay. It's not bad.
3: Um, It's a little bit different than I expected. Uh, It's aimed more for penetration testers, I guess is the word for it. People who are testing apps to try to, to see if there are uh, security issues with it. And so there's a lot of information about how to jailbreak a phone and what tools to use to uh, to get inside the app once it's jailbroken mm. and see what's going right. on inside there. And and there's there's some stuff about how to protect your app as a developer, but it's it's more of the the first stuff. It's more about you know how do you set up an environment for uh, testing the stuff and and how do you test for these these issues. So it, it's probably really good for someone who's who's doing that. Uh, not quite as uh, useful for me as a developer as I would have was was hoping. But
4: but it's yeah, there's still yeah. some good stuff mm-hmm. in there. That's too bad. I would really yep. have liked to have seen it from a developer perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So you're probably not going to answer my question about obfuscating sensitive data inside of an app.
3: <laughs> no, no, not really. No.
4: All right. Too bad.
2: But it's still a useful exercise to go through learning how others will try and get into your stuff, especially with the in the jailbreaking community, right? Sure. So yep. and, and there's been plenty of instances over the over the time of app development that, you know, people have had have not necessarily had their code ripped off but had their ideas or their process ripped off by someone who just opens up their app like a a can and goes through it right
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah 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 i have to say I, I more skimmed all that stuff about the you know the testing environment and all that then then read it then read it if you know what i mean uh but it, yeah it, i think it's probably useful for for people to do that to give it a once over and just see what the you know the general gist of the whole thing is true sure.
0: We've got some more feedback, um, funny enough, on episode 86. And this came from our website. A couple items. One is from Zach, Z-A-C-C. So hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Well, you you mispronounced it. It's (laughs) Z-A-C-C. (laughs) Z-A-C-C. Right. For all the uh, Canadian listeners at home. Or Tucci. So uh, he talks about the uh, Mac Mini Colo, which we'll come back to the uh, obfuscation piece, which we covered some of the differences between Android and its Java-based environment versus um, how iOS is composed. Uh, And then there's another one that we should very quickly address, which was uh, apparently one or two episodes back, Matt, which I think that means Mark, said CloudKit is missing the feature to implement server codes compared to other solutions. And he says actually you can write server codes against CloudKit database using server server key and then gives us a helpful developer at apple.com link. I don't remember that particular nuance of what Mark said, but Mark, am I correct in thinking that what you meant was you couldn't have your own code hosted yeah, in
3: CloudKit? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so uh, I looked up that link, and, and what he's talking about is something that came out beginning of February, and it, it was related to uh, the ability that came out in iOS 9, I think when it first was released, to access Cloud Kit using... Uh, just uh URLs and you know HTTP JavaScript whatever that kind of stuff uh, this allows you to do that from a server as well or access it from a server as well so and mm-hmm. maybe even write to it I guess from a server so it's yeah it is a little bit different than what I was talking about what I was talking about was sort of a if you think about AWS there's there's like ec2 and then there's s3 where s3 is a solution the storage solution and ec2 is the sort of the virtual server uh, solution and they work together. So CloudKit sort of is analogous to S3. It's a storage solution, but it doesn't have the ability to write your own code. And so that's that's what I was looking for.
0: Right. You're looking for something a little bit closer to what Heroku offers or right. the uh, soon-to-be departed parse that lets you write your own cloud code. Yes. Right, right. So just a clarification there for everyone. Um, and then in here uh tim you responded to dave about the mm-hmm. mac mini colo article and dave asked like okay so can you explain the advantages of buying a mac mini and then sending it for, to a third party uh, why not mm-hmm. just keep it in my basement like what's the advantages of using this over running a server from your house um and, and i think you did a really good job of addressing some of the pieces that we may not have filled in the gaps during the last episode totally that sure. was a great answer Thanks. Yeah, Tim, do you want to, for the people driving at home, do you want to just like <laughs> give them the too-long-didn't-read sort of thing?
2: Sure. Uh, well, I said, I said basically I started off with the point that it's a bit different than running a server in your basement where your family is the only users that are going to take advantage of that. Uh, this is for when you're thinking about hosting a, a server, you're thinking about having uh, other users use it and you're going to not get, you're not going to get the same performance because of your home bandwidth connection. Your ISP is going to like, throttle down your outgoing speed, which is going to make your experience poor for your users, right? If you're hosting a service like a, a streaming service or a, a Xcode, uh, you know, a continuous integration kind of solution, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and they they really don't want you doing that. So and they'll want and if you do want to have a, a service where you've got, you know, um, asynchronous transfer speed so you have the same performance coming in and out, it costs you thousands of dollars. I know customers who've done that, who've they wanted to have both, you know, coming and going speeds to be high and it doesn't cost them, you know, the eighty or ninety dollars a month that most of us are used to paying. It's more like they pay, you know, thousands of dollars a month. Um and uh, what else did I say in there? Um, yeah, so if you want to run a service like an MDM for managing your devices or Jenkins or Git, Git Repo, and I forgot, it was GitLab you called, I think, yep, Aaron? I, I was yep. listening to the show this earlier today, and I, I couldn't remember when I was writing the answer, that um, you want to basically have your users have the best space that they can and... Um, and then I also made the point too that I've hosted X serves in the past, and they're like 30 inches deep and you know 19 inches wide, and they're about an inch and just a little bit over an inch high. And so, in the in the amount of space that you can put, you uh, used to be able to put an X serve, You can put like you know I don't know, possibly even something like uh, eight Mac Mini servers in the same space. So rack space will be cheaper in that case. So that was another thing to. Uh, think about why mac minis would be would be cool to have that one's right? maybe a little so. bit
3: unfair though because an x is pretty old technology and and uh yeah and the modern equivalent if it existed would probably be a lot more powerful and and would probably have ten times the power of a. Of, of That's a, so true, but my, my, I was just ta- I was minutes, talking about right? well
2: my point my point was about the the things you chart you get charged for in in hosting a, a device at a at a colo mm-hmm. is you get charged for power which we call hydro up here um, and rack space and bandwidth and those are the three things so the you know electrical power is going to be pretty much the same uh, around you know rack space is you know how many of these devices you can. Shan- uh, Get into a place. There are third-party rack mounts that you can put two Mac Minis side by side. So I'm sure they're using that kind of stuff on their racks, right? Um, and then you're basically paying for bandwidth, and that's the measurable thing that they can charge you for, right? So that's what that was my point in the answer that I was I was giving. So. Um, so yeah, I said at the end. I said, bringing it home, you get all the awesomeness of running Mac. You get Unix. You get virus-free environment. You get a great UI and a great UX. And you can set, up, set it
4: up and run your own parse server or create, and create the next great app. One thing that uh, I was thinking that you should have mentioned too here, Tim, you kind of mm-hmm. obliquely reference it, but getting a, a host name for your server. Oh yeah, you know, is, yeah. is one thing that you left out, that I think uh, is is a big win for well, dedicated IP for sure, yeah, right? Yeah, right. You know, and they go together. I mean, it's it's possible to get a hostname and attach it to a home running server, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> and uh, this yeah. is kind of a if you have it co-located in a data center, it's uh, set it and forget it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I, said, I did mention in the first part of the answer that. Uh, uh, i kind of wasn't really reading it as I was talking, but um, that you know the your host, your, whether it's Roger, Sympatico Verizon or Comcast or whoever you're hosting with, I don't know who the hosts are in the United States, making that part up, but they tend to rotate your your uh, IP address around, which is a bit of a pain, like when you're trying to you know make sure people are finding the right server. Uh, with a service out there i've i 've had to do it on a number of occasions and i 'd manually have to go into my d n s and update it when it gets changed and it 's a bit of a pain in the buttocks i use this I use i have a staging server here at the house that I sometimes use to let customers in to have a look at something really quickly kind of thing but not meant to be a dedicated service right
4: right. Yeah. Uh, now, with all the advantages that you list here, uh, it's important to note that this all applies to Linux servers as well. This is not, mm-hmm. you know, none of these benefits uh, are specific to co locating a Mac. Um, and so there are a lot of great Linux based solutions that are much less expensive, yeah. uh, particularly in the area of VPSs, uh, virtual private servers, where mm-hmm. um, uh, hosts like. Um, uh, Linode, and uh, a lot of companies do it, but Linode, I think, was the big one that kind of got started with it. Taking mm-hmm. taking a large machine and virtualizing a lot of slices of them to create distinct uh, units of power. Um, and they're all basically uh, root access Linux machines. So as a user, it looks exactly like a dedicated piece of hardware, um, but it's much less expensive because it's sharing space on a larger machine. Um, yeah, but uh, they've gotten so great in the last few years that um, it makes a lot of sense for you know it, you know unless you're getting into something serious, right? Um, sure. But you and, can and go to
3: the um, startup. Those have a real nice advantage of scalability, which you don't have right, yes, with physical course. machines. Yeah. So if yeah. you're, if your app just suddenly takes off and explodes, and you have a million users when yesterday you had ten users, uh, then your server side can, can just sort of almost magically expand to accommodate that load where if you're working on real hardware, you're stuck.
2: Yeah, I mean that. And that was one of the decisions points for me. I mean, I have two X servers in the basement that are just sitting there collecting dust right now. But at one point in time, my business was that I had them out in the out at a colocation, and I was running you know web services off of that and API services off of them. But the concern for me was you know while they had Apple Care, I felt relatively confident about it. But as they as they re- reached that three year mark where they're no longer going to be uh, supported by Apple, I made a decision to move to virtual private servers like Aaron was mentioning because i then i didn't have to worry about well what happens if the power supply dies in the middle of the night and i have to drive up to markham to replace it you know kind of thing right so and that kind of took a lot of pressure off my ease my mind you know i'm sure a lot of web hosts know about this kind of stuff if you if you own the hardware you're responsible for it right so
4: yeah that's the downside um, of co-locating
2: yeah yeah but but as Mark said like we have a couple of uh, sites I mentioned last week on Rackspace and when we get to a certain point where we have enough users and we need we need to double our disk space or whatever it's just a matter of going into their control panel and saying you know charge me more money and double my space and within maybe 10 15 minutes I've got a, a larger server with more RAM and you know more performance.
4: So I guess the thing is is that Um, When last week we were talking about uh, a Mac in particular as a co-location computer, Mm -hmm. Um, to my mind, the thing that I keep coming back to is, you know, uh, are you not comfortable with Linux as an operating system for doing hosting? If so, uh, and you're more comfortable with the Mac, then that's a really good reason to look at something like a um, Mac Mini Colo. Um, Whereas if if you want to nerd it up, like we have been for many years, then uh, Linux makes the most sense.
2: And like I said, too, Apple does make it relatively easy to manage a server like the, the server app, which used to be a separate kind of operating system. And now it's just a server app that you buy. Um, and it has most of those kind of services that you would want to have. You know, it has the, an MDM, I forget what they call it now, um, uh, profile manager or something like that. You know, it has FTP, it has web, you know, it has backup, time machine backup if you're on a, on a network. Not, I wouldn't do that over the over the internet but um and like Aaron said you could run th- services like crashplan and stuff like that too but but the apple interface make takes a lot of the pain out of managing a server you know there are some limitations to it so the more more experienced people would uh, find limiting but you know if you're if you've never managed a server before it's really easy to to figure stuff out with the apple interface right
4: you bet mm-hmm. just that it's almost um it's almost like it's too simple in a way <laughs> you know like if you're if you're used to linux and you're used to dickering around with um, uh configuration files and and commands like that, then you get over to the Mac and you sort of take a hybrid approach you You know that there's GUIs for these things, but as soon as something doesn't work right, you dive into the configuration files and and then you're mixing them up together and i 've had this happen to me <laughs> you know and suddenly you've got a dog's breakfast uh trying to serve your stuff and having a heck of a time doing it so I just uh at the end of the day, I prefer Linux for any kind of web hosting situation.
3: Does anyone know whether any of the uh, available services like like uh, AWS or, or Google Cloud Services has the ability to, to run a virtual Mac OS X server?
4: I do not believe so. Yeah. Not be, AWS. That
3: would be interesting to be able to use one of those to do, for example, Xcode continuous integration. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, so I guess if that's the case, and uh, I'd love to hear any of our listeners who know otherwise to let us know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do believe that uh, you would be left with only the ability to uh, collocate your own Mac to get that. Mm-hmm. You know, we we looked at an interesting thing at RW, RW
2: com. One of the sponsors there uh, who did a talk for um, was called Firebase. Oh yeah, how do you say? Yeah, it's sort of a hybrid approach between sort of like a Realm, easy-to-use database. Uh, I believe it has core data-like things, if not core data, but it also does server-side syncing. So you could actually have server- sync services between various devices and, and uh, sites and stuff like that. So you know, Firebase is a
4: web-based key value store. Right. So you you interact with it over the network, over the wire. Right, right. Um, it, oh, so yeah. yeah it doesn't okay, so. have any like local store component to it. You've got to manage right. that yourself. Right. And Realm is the opposite. Realm, Realm, Realm is the is, opposite. <laughs> yeah. 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 Realm is an object database uh, akin to core data, but a heck of a lot simpler to use. Mm-hmm. I'm using that too right now.
0: Last time, we talked about Vim, the text editor, and... Here's a site called Vim Adventures, and the idea is that it's a way to learn how to use Vim's you know different keyboard <laughs> commands um, by playing a game. So they call it, like, you know, Zelda meets a text editor. And uh, it's actually kind of fun. Um, I didn't get very far in it because I'm utterly garbage at, at Vim. I've not mm. been in practice, so uh, it does teach you sort of step-by-steps, like, how do you maneuver up, down, left, right... Um, it'll set up scenarios like, oh, you need to get to the little islands. Well, uh, here you've picked up the W command that'll move you from word to word. And, oh, you need to go back to this other one. Oh, use the B button to go back and jump and sort of instantaneously go across. And it's presented in a real nice, um, cute manner. You know, it's very friendly. So worth checking out. Just a quick bit
4: of follow-up on our Vim discussion. It's awesome. Just awesome. I'm going to leave this open. I'm going to try to figure this out. It's got some pretty silly sound effects. (laughs) I got the volume turned down, so I don't know about that one yet.
1: Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie DevStock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie DevStock is about making connections our speakers will share their stories experiences and ideas with you through their words you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face and more importantly how to overcome them it doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer just starting out or trying to decide if going indie is right for you we're all in this together in addition to the inspiration talks you'll also have an opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help level up your skills During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience Southern hospitality at its finest, but you'll also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information and to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there!
2: So, um, are we back into the sh- Are we into the- we're done to follow up or we're into this the, is show? the show? We're in the this, show. This, this is the show. Is this
4: the show? This Is the show? So,
2: okay. So I don't know. I came home from work today and I, I really, I, I'm, you know, in a fog when I'm at work and I don't hear about things, but Carol said to me, are you guys going to talk about the car tonight? What car would that be? About the building? The Apple car concept. You guys haven't seen the two links I put at the top of the page? Yet? Yeah, I I've looked at things. these. So apparently, um... Motor Trend put out a, tease, a, tw- a Twitter tease today, saying that there is some sort of thing being MTA Apple Car was the, uh, the the hashtag, and they were going to be they have like these pictures of a car with an Apple logo on it and uh, some sketches uh, that look like a really badly drawn you know bubble like, car. What was that P- Pippin car? What was that Pippin operating system? Pippin game system that they had? Back in the day, remember that thing that Apple had? I One do. The road but apples?
4: this does not remind
2: me of that. The, but the 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 sketch does. You know, the, the little apple with the three dot or the dots line of dots along the side there. Hmm. But anyway, so Yahoo uh, investing or their 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 stock show had a little clip which I put there in the show notes um, about it uh, and, and talking about how Apple, why Apple would do a car and all that kind of stuff. So I just I didn't know if you guys
4: had seen this tweet or heard about this today, but. Weird, eh, that I haven't, that nobody in my feed uh, pointed this out mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Was, they talked about it on the, on the radio, apparently, on CBC today, so... Wow. It, it, it really pisses me off when mass media is ahead of me when it comes to Apple. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it was interesting, because one of the st- the things that these stock guys uh, talked about was, was uh, like... It, the, in their show, they got one guy raised a point point. says, how many times have we talked about Motor Trend in the last you know, 12 years that the show's been on the air? And they all said none. So clearly this could be just something that Motor Trend is doing to try and get attention. It could be a publicity thing. Yeah. Who knows, yeah.
4: Right? I mean, I'm looking at these things. There's a sketch here, and there's two. Well, there's one photograph for sure, and I'm not sure yeah. if this is a rendering, this third thing. Yeah. But if you um, scroll down, there's like And there's a, another there's, sketch. Yeah.
2: Cargo dividers, and you know, right. In the in the clip that's there, they show a bit more of the of what's going on. But uh, just I'm just surprised you guys hadn't heard about I've
3: watched the clip, but CNBC is is notoriously anti Apple historically. <laughs> so so you got to wonder if uh, would they would they bring this up if it were a positive thing for Apple, or are they mm-hmm. slamming it? I don't know. I haven't watched the clip. Have you watched it?
2: Well, I did. I did. I don't know if you guys want to take a second. It's only—it's a very short clip, but uh, they did talk about um, you know their opinions about whether they would drive this car. But they do talk quite a bit about Apple stock, and there's some interesting points that they raised there. Even though you know, I I have no opinion about them as a show, so I don't know if they're to be believed or not. So, do you guys want to take a minute and have a look yeah, at that? I'm watching
3: it now.
4: Yeah, I got to wait for the stupid ad to play. <laughs> oh my God one zero all right okay i'm turning it
1: up look at these images this is no ordinary car this is what looks to be the much hyped apple car according to motor trend the industry digital magazine sending out a series of teasers for a story that's going to come out tomorrow those teasers include these pictures apple car, all while using the hashtag #MTAppleCar. obviously they're pointing towards an apple car Tim, what do you think? I, I
3: mean, I, I hope it looks cooler than that. I mean, I gotta tell you, I'm really, really disappointed. I mean, that's not a car
4: I'm driving. I'm sorry. It's, I mean... Yeah.
0: So for those uh, who can't see what we saw, imagine a little bit. So people mentioned the Pippin. That kind of seems like the grill piece. That's the rear part of the car. I kind of see it as sort of the love child of the, you know, original IMAX hockey puck mouse and mm-hmm. the current Magic Mouse
3: that I own. Mm. I kind of have the same feeling. It looks like a mouse.
4: Yeah. Well, let's back up here a second, guys. Do you do you actually think this is legit? No. 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 I mean, there's no way, right? If if it yeah, were legit, no. and it actually did come out of Apple, uh, I think we'd have heard more about it, for one. Because yeah. other news sources would have said, or found out in some way, um, whether what MotoTrend had was for real or not. And with any kind of corroboration of, of what story they're coming out with tomorrow, they totally would have gone to press with it. Mm-hmm. So, I I do not believe that this is real. No way. And I mean, look at the drawings. I mean, come on. Look at this stuff. <laughs> you know, we used to see a lot of this stuff for other Apple products, right? Like, people, and actually people still do it, they make up iPhone designs. They make up Mac designs. Uh, they look legit. They, they seem Realistic, and then they turn out to be nothing of the sort.
3: It's fan yeah. fiction.
4: Yeah, basically, it's fan fiction, and I, I'll bet you that's what this is too. I mean, we'll know more tomorrow when Motor Trend publishes their story. Mm-hmm. So by the time this airs, this this will already be out there. But uh, my my gut says that this is all bunk, and and good thing too because if if I mean I'm I'm with one of those guys on the CNBC thing, uh, not a sharp looking vehicle.
2: No. <laughs> Oh, well, I just thought I'd bring it up.
4: Fine, bring it up.
2: No, oh, I know. I was curious to hear sort of some of the comments they were talking about Apple stock up and down and that kind of stuff too. They did at the end of the part you guys didn't listen to. They talk about how low Apple's margins are on for the resellers, right? So, um, yeah. you know, they I think they make forty percent apparently on phones.
4: Apple makes forty percent margins. Yeah, yeah,
2: so you know. I don't know if that's good or bad in the car industry. You know, not knowing anything about that, right? So,
4: I think that's that's way higher than what the car. But
2: apparently, seen. like, so Tesla stock was down today, and Apple stock was up. So, I mean, maybe somebody at the Motor Trend has a lot of stock to move or something. I don't know. Uh,
4: yep.
3: Who knows? <laughs> Apple stock has been going up for the past uh, week or two or so. It's been going up pretty steadily. Remember, it was mm-hmm. it was beat down pretty hard uh, from its high of last spring or last summer rather but it was as high as 130 at one point and now it was it was down to low 90s uh now it just kind of crossed through 110 again going back up so Mm -hmm. it's hard to say what what that's about it's i mean it could be something to do with this but maybe not could just be a coincidence
4: probably not yeah i don't know I, i think also that we're still at least two to three years away from knowing more about the apple car um and so even if this is real, those sketches are real, then they are the very earliest prototypes and everything is up for grabs still. Uh, so it just seems implausible that um, that at this point in time, at least, from everything we've heard, like you're looking at at least 2020 before we see this thing, um, that this is going to bear anything close to reality.
3: Yeah. And just look at the, the Model S from Tesla that they just announced, right? The people have been talking about this for— The three, right? The—
4: the three
2: is a new the one. The three is a new one? I thought it was a model.
3: Anyway, yeah. Okay, whatever. Yeah, the 3.
2: Yeah. S is already Oh, there,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, people have been talking about that for, for years, and finally it was announced you can you can place a deposit on one, but you're not gonna see it for at least another year.
2: Or two, or, yeah. Yeah.
3: So so if Apple were gonna release a car in a month, I mean that, that's just not gonna happen, right? It's it's very unlikely. No,
2: no, yeah. But they sold two
4: hundred thousand or something like that, did they? Three hundred and fifty at last I Tesla's? Either. Wow. Yeah. Tesla Model 3's pre orders, right? Yeah, and you had to put a thousand dollars down, yeah. didn't you? Those aren't sales though. Those right. are just pre orders. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a fully refundable deposit. Oh, okay, cool. All right, sorry to derail the show. How is just that a derailment? It? Well I
2: wanted to talk about Jaime's eight gig car. No no no, sixteen gig is gonna be the minimum. Maybe they'll have like an apple car C <laughs> are you gonna get there the, the rose gold, gold colors ones? and that one will have eight gigs? <laughs> yeah, it'll be the uh, the Apple Car C, right? Exactly.
3: Or will it be like the original iMac with multiple colors? Right. You can get oh. the colors of the rainbow, right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Bondi blue. Yeah.
2: Well, I have a lot of books on prototype of Apple product, and and to me, the sketch looks like
4: something from like a mid '90s prototype sketch. You know. Totally. Yeah. yeah, it looks like something from Frog Design, right? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but uh yeah this is just some just some fanboy being hmm what else do we have here hey look Swift for Android merged today, hello today super exciting mm-hmm yeah mm-hmm. this is exciting I don't I don't care who you are so uh Tim this is it this is it this is for real so this this is a, a merge request uh made on February 25th uh, by Motocache, this fellow who put together a an Android target so that you can compile Swift to run on Android.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, when I when this thing appeared, I think we mentioned it on the show. Am I right? We talked about this, right?
2: Yes, we did. I At least think a little
4: bit. Yep. And um, uh, even so, I, I remain shocked a little bit that that this became a very active thread. Um, And it's gone through a lot of revisions, a lot of discussion, um, and then it all coalesced today to uh, the final merge. And I guess what this means is that uh, you'll be able to compile Swift on Android. And then Mm -hmm. how far away are we from being able to write Android apps in Swift? Right? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, I I would
3: say that it's way easier to get Swift to compile on Android than it is to run Android apps on Swift. There's a lot of work in between to yes, develop all yes. these libraries,
4: frameworks, right? Yeah, frameworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I yeah. Mean, compiling the language is, is, you know, it's not incons- in- insignificant, you know, but it's in the grand scheme of things, it's it's a lot less volume of work than than an enormous number of frameworks.
4: Yeah, you're not wrong. You're yep. not wrong. Yep. Um, and by the same token, I just you know throw this link in as well because this was also news this week uh, or in the last week. Um, this uh, link I have to thenextweb.com, wherein they reveal that Google is said to be considering Swift as a first-class language for Android. Um, And so it it appears that they are hooking up with Facebook and Uber as well. And they met in London to discuss the new language. So It's interesting.
3: Uh, Yeah. I wonder if Google would do that, given that they they have their own relatively new language that's actually quite similar to Swift, uh, Go that's been out for a few years now is mm-hmm. go similar to
4: Swift yes very I did not know that yep mm. and I've heard all about go and how amazing it is mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I didn't know that it I actually one of the things I assumed about go was that it was more of a server-side language no
3: it isn't really it isn't okay. really you can use it for server-side of course uh, with a with a framework of course a, a web framework but it, it's a it's a modern language with a lot of the syntactical similarities to Swift, actually.
4: Well, maybe there's out. a bunch of contenders out there <laughs> uh, for Android development. But I wonder, you know, like you mentioned the framework issue. Um, I wonder if they could do something similar to what Apple did uh, to bridge Swift and Objective C to give us give Swift access to the um, the Cocoa SDKs. Um, they could do a similar thing to give access to the Android SDKs, could they not? So that you could write those things in Swift. It's possible. It's possible.
3: Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I it's
0: kind of worth mentioning that uh, the company JetBrains, and I think we mentioned this on the show before, they've come up with their own language called Kotlin, K-O-T-L-I-N, that is also a very, very, very similar uh, type of thing. Like, I think that you know, it's not necessarily fair to say uh, it's you know like Swift because I don't know if it was even. You know, influenced by Swift, uh, I think it, it helps as a, a way to give people the context for what will it look like. But I think a lot of this is just sort of like where trends are going in modern language design, right? Really heavily simplifying things, really trying to get a lot of the, the cruft out of your way.
4: Yeah. You see the um, simplest version here on KotlinLang.org. So it runs in the JVM, right? It's a big deal with it. Right, it's as do a lot really of other
0: uh, bits, yeah. like, you know, Scala runs on the JVM. Um, could have Word, there was like a J Python that runs on uh, the JVM. And, and Microsoft has done its sort of own bit with uh, the uh, the CLR equivalent, right, on, on .NET, where you can run Python and JavaScript and all sorts of other, you know, non-C-sharp things.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to point out that isn't JetBrains the people behind the Android Studio, or at least IntelliJ? That's correct. Yeah. So there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. Isn't Android Studio from Google? Yeah, but it's based on IntelliJ. Yeah. Like, when it fires up, it says IntelliJ, blah, 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 in the starting screen. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, I think they were using the open source version of um, whatever powers the JetBrains... IDEs like PyCharm and, and a few other uh, bits out there, but through some sort of partnership or licensing or something, I can't remember.
4: We, we'd have to find the the announcement. Wow, it's like a whole other world over there, huh? Yeah, and it's chaos. On the all kinds Android of things or, Yes, or, the whole Android side, the everything outside of Apple world. What is even up with that?
0: <laughs> well, we say that, but like you know, these are these other things that are happening. But I think right now, if you're an Android developer, there is absolutely no question you're going to be writing Java for Android. Whereas yeah. right now, we, we spend so much time worrying, like, well, should it be Objective-C? Should it be Swift? Should we migrate? Should we not? What about this version 3.0 coming up? Like, there, There's none of that concern right now, today, as, as we there? record on the Android side.
4: Yeah, not mm-hmm. official concern, right? But, I mean, you've got to be smelling the winds, right? If you're an Android developer, you've got to see what's coming down the road towards you, barreling. Don't don't you? You what see do you mean Swift. You, no, if you're on Android, if you're an Android developer writing Java today, I yeah. mean, you're looking at Google saying, "Hey, you know, um, this Swift looks pretty interesting." And you've heard Google complain and have issues with the whole Java licensing issue. Like, should should Android even be built on Java anymore? <laughs> and mm. you've got Kotlin here, um, and there's all kinds of possibilities uh, beside those ones for developing on Android. Um, so it kind of makes you wonder, like, things are going to change there. Am I wrong? Hmm? Huh? Hmm? Still, mm. still to be seen, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, certainly something uh, not official yet from Google, like the way that no. Apple
2: is pushing Swift. Yeah, and before you mentioned, Mark, uh, Go, I think, is
4: a, is, is Google's language, yeah. right? It is a Google language. Yeah. But they they do not seem interested in making it a system language of any kind. Oh, I see. Right. You know?
3: Well, as far but as we know, like, we don't really know what they're yeah. thinking.
4: Yeah. I mean, the one thing you can say about um, the Apple side of things is that we do have a very clear direction about what Apple wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And so officially, I think we actually do have a lot more comfort. And if I'm on Android, I'm feeling a lot less certain because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we're going to be in five years. Whereas with Swift... I, or sorry, with Apple, I know that we're going to be programming in Swift in five years. I'm not sure
3: there's the, the pressure to replace Java, <laughs> except maybe for licensing business reasons. But from a technical point of view, there isn't the, the pressure to replace it like there was. I mean, Objective-C, as much as I love Objective-C, was kind of an old and long-in-the-tooth language and mm-hmm. had some issues. Uh, that and Java's Swift, not? <laughs> well, not as bad as Objective-C. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of people in, in the enterprise world doing Java. I mean, it's, obvious it's, 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 yeah. it's
4: huge. But that didn't so. stop the migration away from Objective C. Lots of people programming that too.
2: Yes. Yep. Well,
3: yeah, yeah, true. Uh, also, keep in mind that until until that keynote in WWDC a couple of years ago, nobody even knew Swift existed.
4: Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
3: so we can't really say that Google isn't planning to do something that we just don't know about yet. I
4: think ah, we just have. They no idea. suck at keeping secrets. <laughs> They're the worst <laughs> at keeping secrets. <laughs> if they got something cooking, we'll know about it. <laughs> They'll beta the thing. And, you know, <laughs> <sighs> Google, never stop being you. Anyway, the Swift for Android looks interesting. We're going to keep our eye on that. But, of course, you know, it always comes back to the same thing. You know, we uh, can learn new languages all we like. Uh, Android developers can learn new languages if they like. But, really, it's the frameworks that make you the expert at it to me. I think Jaime's going to run the rest of the show now. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to put the baseball game on. We're kicking the Yankees' butts, and uh, Jaime just go nuts. Hey, is this a good and time I'm- for us to talk yeah. about uh, preparing for the
0: 3.0 API pruning in Swift? As long as we're on the topic of Swift, absolutely. Sure. So Erica Sadoon has a uh, blog post that we'll have in the show notes where she gives the you know the four main examples of what you need to be looking for so what are we talking about well remember when there was the proposal uh, SE005 about translating objective-C apis into Swift and making things you know a, a lot less wordy um, because you have that type inference bit uh, a much more strongly statically typed language you don't really need the do this with this type. And this other typed thing that you need um, kind of as a necessity in a, the objective-C world. Um, so in any case like the, the, the four prunings very quickly is one is chopping type names off the front of members that preserve the same type. Uh, they give an example where you would have said you know UI color color with alpha component. in this case it just says you know with alpha component as the method because it's, it's very clear that you're using a color from you know what your editor can give you. Uh, pruning number two, if the type name is followed with by, and is followed by a gerund and I'll let Aaron talk about that one, um, chop the by off too. So the example is, you know, image by applying orientation uh, off of UI image. In this case, it's now just, you know, your UI image
4: applying orientation,
0: little segue here. Aaron go here. What's the gerund? What's
4: that all about? You want your basic rule very simple. Ends in ing. So running, swimming, these sorts of things. Yeah. swimming is my favorite Jump activity, kind of thing.
0: Uh,
4: yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, okay. it's,
3: if you have a verb, <laughs> if you have a verb that you want to use as a noun to describe the action of the verb, that's a gerund. Beautiful.
0: Cool. So continuing on, pruning number three: prune the type name at the tail of a selector when it matches the type name under the following circumstances. I'm not going to read the circumstances. So when you have oh gosh this is a hard one to read a uh, document for URL and so on and so on and so forth now you have document for. the first parameter happens to be a URL so you remove the term URL from the first piece as an example. Um, you also have pruning types after verbs and method names. so UI view controller has dismiss view controller animated now it will just be you know your view controller dot dismiss animated. Because you know it's a view controller, right? The, the the type of the variable tells you that. That's right.
4: Hmm? At least through convention, it does, right? Like you you would often have VC or view controller in the name of your instance variable, so that would make sense.
0: Yeah, and uh, so we've talked about the fact that Swift 3.0 is like a another major turn, but it's it's not one that's going to be earth shattering, right? Like everything is is maturing quite a bit and um, I'm actually hopeful that this will be a um, like a migrator task that you can run in Xcode you know Xcode 8 for sure automatically do this and if it doesn't you know what like these are pretty rote and easy things
4: you could go and mechanically and do if you had to I agree Uh, and it's really going to clean up code make it look a lot better more readable so I'm, I'm a big fan I'm okay with this good work nicely done Jaime thank you Tim's Tim's barely staying awake. Hi, May. So you better better get to these next two links here. Oh wait, one of these is actually Tim's link. Yeah,
0: one is Tim's on uh, migrating from Objective
3: C to Swift. I'm looking at it right now. I'm not sure there's that much that's new in this page.
0: So is it fair to say it's kind of a a recap, right? So you you you've woken up out of your coma. or wow, return yes, from the exactly. spaceship or, or, or something, and you realize, hey, it's April 2016. What the heck is this Swift thing? Oh, my God, how do I, how do I migrate from Objective-C to Swift? This might be a one-stop shop for that, right? Kind of give you the, the, the quick overview.
2: Yeah, similar to your color tips from last week, if you scan through this article, it covers off the main points and transitioning over to Swift. It covers some of the things we talked about on the show before, like Krusty uh, and the transition to protocol-oriented programming in Swift. I love the little diagram here that's showing the value types versus reference types. It's a very cool graphic with four individual values represented by heads and four reference types and if you change the value of, of the individual references then it also affects the others and the original object as well. It's a very descriptive diagram in my opinion. I'm always looking for examples that make uh, concepts clear in a visual format. It's good for people who are of the TLDR crowd and learn better visually. I often get cornered by people saying, you know, in 10 seconds, tell me why Swift is better. And I often get caught flat footed,
4: (laughs) but it happens. Are you actually in the midst of training people at your place of employment, Tim? You had mentioned that was one of your job requirements, uh,
2: yeah, I, uh, I'm one of the lead developers there, and I end up uh, mentoring a lot of the other developers there on different things like you know tips and tricks in Xcode or working with auto layout size classes and that kind of stuff. Um, I also give input on the major architecture and continuous integration and best practices. Um, these, are, these are some of the things that encompass my role there. We also have lunch and learn sessions where you brown bag it and someone does a tech talk. And we're planning to do a lot of covering, some covering on Swift. Um, they're like multi inter- could be modeled introductions to Swift for people who haven't looked at it. Or it could be, uh, we've been bringing in a lot of new developers who have had a good founding in Swift, which is good. I think it's a common thing in enterprise shops where there's a lot of legacy code to deal with and uh, where it takes time to
4: transition over. Right. And are, are you the one leading those sessions, like formally, or is it, are there a bunch of you there that are doing that? Or is it just you talking to people? And
2: It's kind of one-on-one right okay. now. We're doing, going to be doing a lot more formalized training on this kind of stuff, and that's part of the de- developmental program at work. It's part of the plan. We have talks to talk on Angular. We've had talks on Angular and uh, React Native. One of the companies we contact through did a talk on the Apple watch a few weeks ago and um, how it could be used and how it is being used in real circumstances. All right. Anyway, that's why I posted that just sort of a cheat sheet for people who may want to uh, get their heads wrapped around Swift and, you know, what to go into, what to look at, what to look up.
4: Yeah. It's if if you are not, if you're a developer on an Apple platform and you have not looked at Swift yet, seriously, um, yeah, you got to do it at some point soon. <laughs> um, so this is as good starting point as any. Yep. Bert, Jaime, I think, is about to tell us about Xcode schemes.
0: So there's a blog post here by um, Orta Theroux from Artsy. I think we've mentioned one of his articles before. Or hers. I am actually don't know if it's a he or her.
2: Or is a gentleman. He lives in England and uh, he's, he heads up the Cocoa Pods group.
0: Okay, great. Got it. Got it. Um, in any case, the the whole point of, of this blog post is, um, you know, how do you segment your testing, right? So you're, everybody's doing testing, right? Right. Everybody does their taxes. Everybody flosses. Everybody exercises at least 30 minutes a day. Um, But by golly, you know, sometimes you're just changing a small piece, you know, on a branch somewhere and you really don't want to run, you know, every dang test in the entire system, you know, on every, um, not commit, but like every little, you know, bit of work that you do, right? You want to just test your piece in isolation and then, okay, now I'm, you know, I'm ready to do a pull request. I need something a little bit more formal. Let me run the entire regression suite. Um, this uses and proposes using um, schemes in Xcode, right? So you can create a scheme that's specific to running, you know, just tests. Um, and and even more so, you could segregate them into different things, right? You might have one that is, hey, these are really expensive uh, integration or UI tests that take a long time to run. They run through some very extensive scenarios, Think that will take longer. You can segregate those out into one scheme and then you can have other bits. Like, hey, these are just unit tests. Unit tests will run, you know, even as a whole suite, you know, fairly fast. Great. And then even having sort of like your own temporary schemes So look, you know, I'm coming in on Monday. I'm doing stuff from, you know, Monday through Friday, and then I'll be done with this feature. I'm just going to create this, you know, this little scheme, you know, that's Jaime's testing scheme for, you know, this view controller feature or whatever the case may be. So it's worth taking a look at. I... I've definitely considered doing this. Um, I don't think I've ever actually created a new scheme just for these. I've usually just gone in, monkeyed with the scheme to say, hey, I only want to activate you know, the one class that I'm working on for test cases. And then I always have to remember, oh, yeah, I need to go back in and discard that change and make sure I don't check that in. So worth a look, worth a try. I don't know if anybody here's used this model before.
4: No, I've never nope. done this before.
0: I will say that it does bring up a shortcoming that um that I've seen just kind of as a compare and contrast with running things through um the Android side of the house. And they have a um annotations feature as part of Java and Google has hooked that up into how Android runs where you could say okay, you know, I'm going to annotate this particular test as a unit test. I'm going to annotate this other one as a functional test or Maybe I say, you know what? These tests have to run on a real device that actually has, you know, um, Bluetooth or a camera or accelerometer. You know, the sorts of things that are kind of difficult to to fake in a simulator emulator environment. And then you can just sort of set up your you know your testing. Um, sweet to say, hey, I want to run you know everything from top to bottom, or I, run, I want to run just unit tests, or I want to run just functional tests, just UI tests, so on and so forth. Uh, I think that would be something super nice I would love to see coming out of WWDC this year. Mm-hmm.
3: Is that something that's set up in the IDE, so it's IDE specific? For example, does it have to be in Eclipse, or is it part of the general Google tools package that you can use? You know, that's a
0: good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, So many of the Android devs that I've worked with, you know, over the past couple of years have you know jumped wholeheartedly into Android Studio. So I don't know mm-hmm. if it's available in Eclipse or not.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, really? That's interesting, actually. you So more people that you know are using Android Studio than Eclipse for Android development.
0: Interesting. Yeah, okay. people jumped on it, like, even when it was, you know, one of the early betas. It's like, I, I think they were ready to, to escape from Eclipse is mm-hmm. the impression mm-hmm. that I got.
2: Yeah. Actually, there's a new version, version 3, coming out soon, I think.
0: Yes, I think that just came out of beta uh, within the week, I think. Just past couple days, I think they
4: officially had their 2.0 launch of Android Studio. Interesting. We should do pics. I think we've got everything we need here. Uh, this week, there was a new app introduced for the iPad called Bez. And it is a vector drawing tool. And the thing that makes it very interesting is how pro-level it is. Um, if you download it, it's free on the app store and, um, it provides a full suite of vector editing tools that are touch-based. And so, uh, you can go to the website to kind of get a demo, but, uh, it's far easier to just download the thing and play with it. Um, and you'll find that, um, it has a very surprisingly powerful, um, suite of, of Bezier editing tools, uh, so that you can create illustrations, Uh, With your fingers, and uh, presumably with the Apple Pencil as well. Uh, It's actually kind of mind-blowing. So I I don't know how how far I can take this without just saying, go check it out. Um, The thing is, I believe there's an $8 in-app purchase to unlock a bunch of features, but uh, otherwise it's free. And uh, (laughs) so I'm a little obviously upset about that, um, (laughs) because... You know, software of this right. caliber should really be much more expensive, um, but here it is. And uh, if if you want to unlock all the features of the app, uh, you got to throw down the eight bucks. And uh, that seems like kind of a steal if you have any interest at all in um, in illustration on an iPad. So anybody that's uh, you know, like we're, we've talked about this before many times, that the iPad. Um, is, has suffered over the years from a lack of professional grade software and i th- i think bez is uh an answer to that um you know just from my you know i'm not an illustrator i'll tell you that right off the bat uh but i've i've used illustrator and i've used sketch on the mac <clears throat> and there is a very uh, uh a good cross section of features uh from those to this so um give it a shot it is at uh, Bez, uh, Juicybitsoftware.com slash Bez, B-E-Z. Cool. I don't know if you recall
2: this or not, but uh, I started my career off in Adobe Illustrator, and I spent many years doing Bezier drawing with Vector Tools. So I'll definitely be taking this out for a spin. Uh, there are many apps I've mentioned before they use on my iPad. They come with Bezier Tools, one called Graphic. It's, I think it was uh, renamed, it used to be called uh, iDraw and aaron i think one of the reasons why the price is the way it is is probably because based on the competition uh, there's a lot of drawing tools that come in around that entry point around you know somewhere around five to ten dollars
4: well they should buck the trend
2: (laughs) yeah they should at the end of the day you know an illustrator who's used to paying prices like we mentioned before like adobe illustrator and photoshop those kind of tools are going to pay real money for those and they should look at the iPad, or they shouldn't look at the iPad as sort of a second-class citizen. Yeah, that's exactly right.
3: But a lot of what you're paying for when you buy an Adobe tool is is knowing that it's going to be around a year from now. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, with a, with a, th- with a small, uh, small app, you have no idea.
4: That's true, and especially when it's only charging, uh, well, nothing. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, how can you guarantee? Maybe somebody will buy them. Oh, I got a second pick then. Uh, kind of on the same topic, there's another app called Polymail, and uh, I'll find the link for that. It's polymail.io, and this is a mail app for Mac and for iOS. Um, and its uh, I think it's invite-only at this point. Uh, I, um, a friend of mine at Disney uh, sent me an invite, and so I've been using it in the last week or so. It's excellent. It is so good. Um, but like all mail apps tend to be, uh, it's free, so you don't pay a thing. And you've got a high-quality mail application for Mac and for iOS. Um, it's iPad, iPhone, and Mac. Um, and it's it's very good. I think it compares favorably to uh, AirMail, which is currently thought to be sort of one of the best third-party mail applications. Uh, handily beats Mail.app on Mac OS X, which has long been problematic. Um, But uh, PolyMail uh, looks great and works very well and has some pretty cool features, um, like scheduling messages to appear in your inbox later. Um, Other apps have done that. Um, And uh, some that I like are uh, it's got automatic read receipts so that it can uh, let you know when your message has been read. And if it's a newsletter that you've got in your inbox and you're looking at it, you can have it um, unsubscribe you with one button that appears in the toolbar, Um, something I like to do a lot because I don't like to be subscribed to newsletters. And sometimes find myself subscribed to them, uh, so it's a really nice look, and it's really nice looking, uh, and it works very well. And I've been pretty pleased with it in the last week. So, Polymail Mail is. Uh, so you said there's there. there's a Mac OS version as well.
3: I, I see the correct. I see the iOS version in the App Store, but I don't see the Mac version.
4: Yeah, it's in uh, invite only right now, yeah. so it's not on the Mac App Store. Uh, mm-hmm. So you get the invite, and then um, you can download it directly from their website. I see, and it's okay. Technically, it's still in beta. But uh, I've not, I've not seen many beta-like things about it. It's working very well for me. Mm-hmm. So okay, I got two picks there. I'm pretty proud of myself because when I came on tonight, I had zero That's picks. Good. Yeah, yeah. hooray for me. I, I wish I had a third one so I could compete with Jaime. Hey, Greg. Well, Greg's not here, is he? He's in Facebook, getting his face booked.
2: Jaime, do you have a pick or two or three? Before.
0: Uh, yes, I do. Um, the first one is um, some t-shirts on Threadit by the Practical Developer. And uh, other than a couple of shirts that they have there, most of them are uh, parodies of the O'Reilly technical books. Oh, yeah, I've seen right? these, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to ruin all these. of these, these I funny. think, taking a look. Uh, the two that came to my mind that I'll, I'll spoil on the uh, on the show are uh, Expert Resume driven development. Yes. <laughs> the passionate, functional, micro-oriented, or sorry, micro-surfaced approach. And uh, real-world rewriting your front end every six weeks. This time you have definitely chosen the right libraries and build tools. <laughs> and, and there's awesome. more than that. It, it, it's great. I
4: love these. Uh, I love seeing these.
2: There's another one called copying and pasting from uh, Stack Overflow.
4: That was the first one I saw, but the, this is where they're coming from, eh? Yes, the practical developer. They have a, a Twitter account that you mm-hmm. can
0: follow as well. I think. I'm not sure if it's linked for
2: your. Another homepage. favorite is writing. Excuses are not writing unique tests. <laughs> and writing code that no one can read, but uh, resume-driven development is the best.
3: Yeah, that's my favorite one. But I think we've spoiled all of them now. <laughs> I don't know. I see
2: more and more published every day but uh now now we know the source all right what's number two Jaime? hit us up number two is continuing the um
0: now it's a tradition of inexpensive knockoff apple watch bands that i have found on amazon uh i can't remember which episode it was but at least a couple of episodes ago i had talked about the Uh hermes cuff knockoff that instead of being you know three to four hundred dollars is thirty dollars uh likewise instead of the hundred and fifty dollar black space gray Milanese magnetic loop you can find the one that i've linked on the show notes uh for twenty one dollars u.s on amazon and it works pretty well the um the coloring looks pretty spot on the um the magnet which somebody on twitter asked me about and i really apologize i don't have that in front of me right now it asked me you know how does the magnet work you know does it you know does it shift around is it strong enough and if if anything it might be a Hmm. little too strong um like I've, i've noticed you can if you go past like you know
1: a <laughs> hey, uh, stainless steel refrigerator,
0: like you could actually feel it touching that. It's like, oh wait, so that's how not I not think it would happen <laughs> but um, so
2: that's a physicist.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh,
3: it, it's so pretty it's, good. So don't like, get one if you have a pacemaker, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, don't keep it near your heart, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Don't put it right over your hard drive, uh, the, the similar type things. I, I, I don't have a Milanese loop from Apple, so I don't know how it compares. Uh, other than the one time I tried one, you know, back when they were doing the in-store demo stuff before the watch came out, uh, and and I think likewise, it's just like I'm, you know, going to see if this thing turns into dust for the uh, Hermes knockoff. This one, I'm going to see if it, you know the magnet stopped working for whatever reason the metal starts scuffing you know it gives me some sort of rash Well, i'll give some follow up uh, in a few weeks
2: well as you know i did some follow up myself when i went to the apple store last week and they actually have the hermes band there it does certainly does look um, like a more expensive band than the one you posted on your twitter feed um, it looks much better and i don't know if it looks that much better but it does look very polished and very clean
4: and uh I'd also looked at some of the nylon bands as well. You know, they still let you try them on in the store, right? I went a couple weeks ago. I went and I just did that, and because like, I, I bought a new band for my watch, a uh, uh, yellow sports band for mine. Um, but at the same time, I was there. Uh, the salesperson I was talking to took me over to the cabinet, just like what Jaime was saying about. When the first uh, watch first launched um, they, They'll do the same thing for you time. They'll take you over there, unlock the cabinet And let you try on any watch and band uh, That they have there So I did get to try on the Milanese loop um, I don't think it's really for me so Which is a relief because in Canada That's like $230 um, So you know it's nice But not that nice um, <laughs> um, And I also tried on the nylon ones And uh, none of those really caught my eye Either uh, I seem to be a sports band kind of person I'm also curious about
2: like the size of them. Are they the same size as the previous bands, like similar lengths?
4: Yeah. I think all the watch bands come in the same lengths, the ones that detach at least.
2: I think I've pointed out before that I'm at like, one notch away from the band not fitting, so I'm always curious about how big they're going to be making these things. I had to spend all that money not to find out they don't fit.
3: I don't know. Maybe there's a product idea there for uh, watch band extenders.
4: <laughs> 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 think i'd rather just go to the gym
3: hey to each his own right <laughs> i guess
2: all right tim what do you got well, i've been thinking quite a bit about my pick and one of the things i picked up while i was working at the bank is that uh, the fact that they use the whole uh, a lot a lot Atletian workflow um so i started working with source tree and i've had SourceTree on my mac for a while i was introduced to it by some of the members of our slack group and I've always been a I've always preferred using xcode to do my commits for git bucket bit get and bit bucket, um, but I found it easier to use. And occasionally, if I need to do something xcode doesn't understand, I'll just jump down to the command line and and use git there. So I started. You're working with SourceTree at the office and because we have a number of developers we all work on several branches at a time and it's good at resolving merge conflicts and um, keeping things in check. I started using it at home and on projects that I have and I um, like For instance, like yesterday I had to check out a staging branch, and when I looked at it, I hadn't looked at it in quite a while, and when I went to load it up and did a quick test with it, I didn't want to update and push to the, the Bitbucket and all that kind of stuff, but I was able to uh, go in there, pull down the changes, merge them into the staging branch, and do my test or whatever, and then go back to the main branch that I use in normal development. And what it does, it displays how many commits behind I am. So every time I go back to source tree, I don't necessarily have to put everything away. It shows me how far my local branch is to the repo branch. what's really cool about it is when you have a merge conflict, I'm sure we've all had these, uh, when you're working, even when you're working solo, you can end up with them, I had one last night, as a matter of fact, with the staging branch. There's a tool that comes with source tree that is sort of a text editor, very similar to... Well, like when I'm dealing with merge conflicts, sometimes I'll open them up in in bbedit where I can open two files side by side and compare them. Anyway, this this external editor launches and lets you go through and lets you choose left or right or both uh, for the solution. Uh, similar to what you can do in Xcode now, but what's really good, it's also really good at doing uh, merge conflicts in resources that you normally can't edit, like things like a project file or a storyboard, which are XML, um, because one of the problems of working with storyboards is when you're working with multiple developers, two people might touch the same storyboard so that when you try to put them back together in the repo, they bang heads and you get a create a merge conflict. So I find Sourcetree is really good at that kind of stuff. It makes a a lot clearer what you've changed in your branch. At the top left-hand pane, you can see what changes you've made to the files, and you can decide whether or not you're just kidding around and release them or whatever. Um, I find that a tool for managing your Git and your branches and things like Sourcetree is a really cool product, and, and it's free. All you need to do is register a license, and away you go. The other thing, too, about merge configs is that it shows you graphically, uh,
4: which shows you graphically that they're cool now. Yeah, I've used uh, SourceTree in the past myself. Um, And it's really good. Like, I I know exactly what you mean, Tim, because having a graphical interface can make a big difference in managing merges in particular. And uh, comparing files uh, among revisions is useful. Uh, More so than the command line can be, but, you know. The uh, number of occasions where I need a graphical interface to uh, deal with that are very small in real-world use. But, uh, yeah, when you need it, you need it. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that part, too. But I love the fact that it has a little colored
2: line for each branch, and it shows you where you branched off from it and where you merged back in. The other thing, too, about the merge conflict is it shows you graphically that they're cool now. And then when you do a commit, it actually creates the statement for you for the merge conflict. It tells you there was a merge conflict between this file and that file, and you don't have to, to write the actual commit statement for it. It actually does that automatically. But you're right, the colored branches are handy to for those of us who like to have visual feedback.
3: So that's actually available on the GitHub website. Did you know that?
2: Yeah, but, but I've actually moved away from uh, GitHub. I'm on I'm oh, using oh, you're not using Bitbucket GitHub. Okay. as well. I see, okay. It's probably probably on Bitbucket too as well, but I just haven't seen it. I like to have it all in one place in front of me. Mm-hmm.
3: Does it let you do some, some of the uh, more advanced uh, merging things that Xcode can't do, like change between you know fast forwards and, and um, stuff like that?
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah. I haven't done much of that myself, yeah. but it does like do cherry picking as well, which is kind of nice. It has a has that built in. You can tell you if you can't do it right away, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does do rebasing and things like that, but I haven't really gone down those paths because you know, I don't really grok mm-hmm. what's going on in there yet. Mm-hmm. It's a cool tool. and uh, I've also used the Git app. Uh, the GitHub
4: app. Git for Mac. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah mm-hmm. GitHub desktop, yeah. yeah. I've used that too, and I when I didn't have a graphic tool like Xcode to work with. But
0: uh... yeah, I um, I personally try to use the command line as much as possible, just because I'm paranoid about what some of the um, yeah, <laughs> graphical editors have have done in the past to me. Um, True, but, but um, I absolutely love the uh, the fact that SourceTree um, has a nice visual way to do. Um, Staging and unstaging hunks of, mm-hmm. of lines from what you've staged. Um, that you can't do that from the command line, but it's it's painful. I'd rather just go and be. Like, oh man, line thirty-five is actually, you know, either something that I, I didn't want to be in there because I was just, you know, experimenting with something just to see what was happening, or maybe I'd say, you know what, this line actually makes a little bit more sense as a different atomic commit, and it will be very confusing if I include this line in this commit.
2: Right, I'd seen that feature, but I hadn't really laid around with it yet. But yeah, you've explained it pretty well. And that's all I have to say Thanks. about that.
4: Alrighty then, I guess that's it. We're done? That's it. We're done. Button her up, Tim. Button her up. All right, Aaron, if people want to find you in it, where do they go? Uh, they go to Twitter. Oh my God. Go to Twitter. Aaron Bay. Okay.
2: <laughs> and those of you who went to the internet today and engaged with Aaron find that he's quite willing to spar with you.
4: Oh, really? What? What? Say
2: again. You were talking to a couple of guys, a couple of friends of the show today, and I was sort of watching yeah. you because I was mentioned in there. Either oh, we weren't there. sparring; we
4: were talking well, about. You were having a discussion. A discussion, yeah, for sure. An exchange. of We're talking of about ideas. the patronage model for apps and right. how to make uh, how to make patronage work uh, in a world ruled by IAP. Uh, n- no answers, just more questions. And hi, May.
0: If
2: people want to find you on either webs, where to look?
0: On Twitter, as
2: at Dev with the Hair. And
3: Mark? And send me an email at markr at mapsoft.com.
2: Alright, my name is Timitra. I am T I M M I T R A on Twitter, and I will see you next week. Take care, bye bye. Bye, goodbye.
0: If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. bit of follow-up that i can think of is the fact that we talked about vim the editor the text editor oh yes last time and uh just that night after we got off the phone i said oh somebody sent me this link for vim adventures wow well, that link hmm. little, little notes and is somebody yeah. cutting the grass
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too.
4: Let's, sorry let's uh that's part we can probably cut out here okay Oh my sense. god! Like I mean, seriously, it's still winter here, and I'm listening to someone mowing their lawn. Mark had his air conditioner on last
2: week. It is uh, oh. <laughs> 57 degrees Fahrenheit here in Seattle. I, I, poor, I don't poor even. Poor guys, okay. they must be melting.
0: 57. Right. Hopefully, hopefully, he's on the far part and gets through this real quick. Okay,
4: once. Again. But is that actually a lawnmower?
0: Yeah, I, I can
2: hear some neighbor
4: down the street doing that. <laughs> oh, I'm dying inside. What, is it cold in, in uh, Toronto
2: right now? I have the heat oh. on beside me right oh, now. Really? Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. It's two degrees right now Celsius, and uh, wow, and it has been a long, well, a very, very poor spring. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, oh. we had snow last week. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah.
3: Is that why the Blue Jays are in last place?
4: <laughs> no, it's because their relief pitching sucks. Ah. Now you shut your face. <laughs> didn't. They just start. Yeah. Yeah, it's just just starting. Don't don't get them all worked up.
2: It's the new infield that they're dealing with. They have like new dirt, new clay, right? That's right.
4: Actually, that
3: yeah. seems to be true. I was watching a couple of the games last week when they were playing the Red Sox, and and balls were bouncing all over the place. Crazy mm. bounces. Yeah. They'll get used to it. Don't
4: worry.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's the curse of Toronto when you say they're the best team in baseball or best team in in hockey or whatever. That's that right right away. Just sell your tickets, move to a different city. Forget it. Okay.
4: Okay. Um, um, let's, let's go back on topic here. I'm looking at Vim Adventures. <laughs> okay,
2: so well, Jaime, now that guy's not cutting his lawn, or is he still cutting his lawn, do you want to do your intro again?
4: Yes.
1: So, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.